Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the show, made possible by the crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So we are now only days out from the start of the FIFA Women's World Cup and the eyes of the world very much being on Australia as the co-host for a huge international sporting event. The Matildas will be right in the thick of it, inspired by an enormous demand for tickets and perhaps their best chance of success yet. And to help us continue the countdown to kickoff, we're joined by two women who wore the green and gold in Heather Garriock and Amy Chapman. Heather, we'll start with you. Welcome to the program and thanks a lot for your time at a very exciting time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very exciting time, especially for women's sport, but most importantly for the Matildas. You've seen just about everything in this game. I mean, 130 caps for Australia, three World Cups for yourself, two Olympics, trophies in Europe, and you've been a coach. You're a Football Australia director. But to have a World Cup on home soil, and not only that, but to see the appetite for it as well, Heather, and how far women's football has come in the eyes of the public. I mean, is it a stretch to suggest you might have had some emotional moments in the in the build-up to this? Yeah, I, I certainly have. And I'm sure all the women that have paved the way before me have had that as well. It's... um. It's incredible, um, not only to have an event of this magnitude here on home soil, but um, to know that our Matildas are uh, one of the leading sporting brands here in Australia um, and have, have a possibility to do really, really well at this tournament. Just on yourself and so many of the your former teammates and those who came before you and after you, I mean, so many, and so many sacrifices, you know, the, the far from professional circumstances and all that that entailed. Do you feel there's a connection to this current squad from those who have come before? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, when, when you are playing, even even when I, I finished up playing, um, no matter when you pull on the, the, the Aussie jersey and you sing that national anthem before the game, um, you always remember who did come before and you'll always remember the pioneers um, and appreciate them and um, be grateful for where you are today. So I'm sure the girls, um, when they walk out, um, you know, next week against uh, France and then uh, the very first game, probably going to be one of the biggest women's football uh, sporting games um, ever here in Australia for the 20th of July, Australia versus Ireland. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I think this squad's very, very special. Now, you're going to be bringing the tournament, obviously, into living rooms all around the country as part of your job with Optus Sport. But what level of optimism should we have that, you know, Sam Kerr and the team can progress to the real pointy end under Tony Gustafsson, do you think, Heather? Well, to win games, you've got to score goals. And we've got the best goal scorer in the world at the moment. So um, that's a pretty simple answer. It's a point um, well made. We've got a really good spine. Um, we've got players that have played in major tournaments before. We've got very, very good experience. But what I will say, um, we need to keep it, um, you know, nice and uh, realistic. We are ranked 10th in the world. Um, but also we, we, um, we're going to have uh, some tough opponents, especially the European opponents. 
So the squad is strong. It was named uh, just recently. It's got some rusted on, tough as nails veterans as well. And he's been seen in some quarters to have taken a risk with a few uh, girls who are coming back from long-term injuries. But it's also got some debutantes with big dreams. Can you take us back to when you were just a little kid with big dreams? Where, where was home for you, Heather? Yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the best moments of uh, my career, to be honest. It was um, in, in China. I made my debut as a young 16-year-old. So it was nice to see um, Claire Hunt, who I've been a, a big supporter of and, and, and someone who's, uh, I guess, coached Claire to see her debut for Australia some six months ago and to see her named in the uh, Matilda's World Cup squad uh, was, was really emotional. She She's a great um not only ambassador for the game on the field, but also off the field. She's uh, she's going to be fantastic. I think the, a lot of Australians haven't seen her play and I think she'll be greatly loved. So Heather Garriock, the little girl, was it always football? Uh, I played lots of different sports, but football was my passion. And the football was the one that gave me butterflies, um, especially on a Saturday morning early, uh, waking up and um, wanting to play all day, every day. How, so, how were you introduced to the game? My dad's Scottish, so basically, yeah, uh, in the UK, <laughs> you breathe football. So, um, it, it was it was dad's influence for, for sure. So, just not long after you could walk, obviously, you had the ball at your feet, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. But there was five kids in my family, and um, and it, it was it was me as a as a second last, and a, and a young girl as well. Um, girls didn't play football really back in the day, so. Um, yeah, I loved it. I, I loved it and wanted to go to dad's football all the time when he was playing. So still, though, the action would have been pretty hot in the backyard, wouldn't it, with that many siblings running around? Yeah, it was. In fact, we grew up with the Carneys. So David Carney and um, his older sister, Michelle Carney. So there was plenty of battles there. It was, it was my family versus their family sometimes, and then we'd split it up, boys versus girls. So it was good, though. It's, it's beautiful memories from um, my childhood. So you went on, you played in three World Cups, but you actually scored in two, 03, 07. What's it like to find the back of the net at a World Cup? I mean, is there a, is there a better feeling? No, it's, it's, it's a feeling. It, it's, it's a feeling you just can't describe. It's such a nice feeling. Obviously the, the buildup of, of scoring a goal and, and the team um, behind that goal, but actually putting it and hearing that net, um, or well, the ball hitting the net is such a beautiful feeling and, and something I, I, I never forget in 2003 when I scored my first goal. Um, it was a, a really beautiful moment. And the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, like I, I, we're reaching here, but I suppose if you could to compare anything like the girls are going to feel running out in, in the next few days with either big tournament on a home soil, it, it would be this. What, what was that like? Yeah, one of the greatest moments ever in Australian sporting history is that opening opening ceremony, 110,000 people walking out, um, you know, as, as the Australian team and seeing so many lights and, and people taking photos. I think that it's going to be similar um, to that, especially that first game against Ireland. So, um, yeah, again, one of, the, one of the biggest sporting moments. But it, it's fabulous, isn't it? We're talking about um, big sporting moments here and we're talking about women's sport and the Matildas, which yeah. is – it gives me goosebumps, to be honest. So, obviously, your green and gold career is well told, Heather, but just coming back to your club career, I mean, you weren't scared early on to chase, I suppose, the overseas option. You got to the States pretty early. Denmark as well, while you juggled that, those international – Commitments, I suppose, what was the theory there? No one's just going to give it to you. you got to go out and chase it? Yeah, no, the theory was is um, always wanting to be the best, you know, just like anybody, want, they wanted to be the best in the world. And that was always my my goal. And 
um, be the best I could possibly be. And that was by playing um, domestically here in the W League. And then um, that would be six months of the year. And then the other six months heading overseas and either playing in America or playing in Scandinavia or um, wherever it was. So, um, yeah, I was really fortunate to play in um, Sweden, Denmark and the US. There's some really good leagues and and they're still great leagues to this day. We're off the mark here on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So Heather Garriott was certainly no stranger to setbacks across her two-decade career. We'll revisit the harder times that shaped her character and her career right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, welcome back. Great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We are counting down to the days to the start of the FIFA Women's World Cup. And today we're with Matilda's great and a major advocate for women's sport in Heather Garriock and will soon be joined by another who made her mark at the top level in Amy Chapman. So Heather, by 2009, you're basically at the peak of your powers, your career. You've already achieved plenty. But the big dream was to play in the newly minted top tier of women's football in the USA, wasn't it? Because... The NWSL was launching, and you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. It was it was a dream. Um, what five years before that? Because um, one of my mentors, Julie Murray, uh, played for the Cyberays, and seeing her play on TV, and seeing her, you know, score goals and do really well for Australia is something that that I certainly dreamed of. And then the league folded, and then once the league uh, started again. Um, it was then the draft round picks of, of, of the teams and, and, and I was part of that. So, yeah, it was a dream for a very, very long time. And everyone was coming for it, weren't they? Like some of the biggest names in the game, Marta, Christine Sinclair, Formiga. You're taking pick 12 by the Chicago Red Stars. So there's some illustrious company here, both in the other camps and in your own. Yeah, for sure. And and look, that Chicago Red Stars team, I'm, I'm not going to show off, but it was a star-studded team and I was really, really grateful to have been picked Twelfth, uh, the head coach was Emma Hayes, a young Emma Hayes. Um, you had Christiani, I played with uh, Karen Carney from um, from England, uh, Megan Rapino, just come out of college. That was her first professional contract. Um, Carly Lloyd. Uh, so some some real superstars in that team. Um, but they often say um, you're either a team of champions or a champion team, and we 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 weren't the team, so we didn't do well that year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I spent, I spent, uh, the whole year on the sidelines. I was into the whole year, which was really disappointing because you build up for a moment in your career and want something so bad. And, um, yeah, to, to have a, I, I tore my quad really badly and then I broke my ankle and, um, yeah, I spent most of the time on the sideline rehabbing and, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. Just on the quad. So I think you're a week out from the first game. So it's a warm-up game, but a warm-up game, I, I love it, in name only, because I think it's minus five in Chicago. So there was no warming up going on. But you're about, what, five minutes left in this game and you attempt a, a long diagonal ball and that's when you feel the quad, don't you? Yeah, for sure. And and look, in hindsight, and again, I, um, I remember before that, I, I was just so excited to be there. It was to show off in front of the, the coach and show her the quality of, of this young, little, mischievous, energetic uh, Australian. Um, but I was a set set play. Um, I took the corners. So I must have 
I must have taken 20, 30 corners um, in the warm-up just to show her that I could take the corners. And that's probably what did it, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it was it was disappointing. And, look, uh, I'll be honest, the medical over in the States, especially at that time, um, was fairly average. Uh, we were lucky here in Australia. Our medical is top class and still is. So, um, yes, really struggled uh, that year. Mm. And to have a, a torn quad um, and then redo it again uh, after I'd tried to come back because it was misdiagnosed, it was really frustrating. Yeah, devastating, isn't it? And we spend a lot of time on this program talking about the ceilings that you professional men and women can reach and sometimes the joyous highs, but also in many instances, Heather, the crushing lows too. So this is really the the bravery in putting yourself out there and taking the chance to be great, isn't it? It it takes real mental fortitude because you, I don't think, had really had much exposure to serious injury prior to this. Is that right? No, it it didn't because um, you you don't want to be vulnerable as as an athlete. Um, You don't want to... Uh, let anyone know you're hurting or, you, you know, you've reached a, you know, a really tough time in your career. And, um, yeah, it's 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 something that I look back on, though, and I, I think it's not I think. I know it's made me stronger. I know um, how important having um, a great tribe around me, um, people that encourage me regardless if I'm doing great things in my life or not, um, but really great mentors. And that's one thing that I didn't really have then. And that I do have um, now within my life, especially in business too. You mentioned the ankle. So after you did the quad the second time, I think you came back to Australia. You got that right. Finally got to the bottom of that. And then you've come back. And I think you came off the bench in a game, didn't you? What, 20 minutes to go. And how long into that little cameo did the ankle uh, shatter? I, I hadn't even touched the ball. I went to I went to, I went to receive the ball and push the ball out in front of me. Alex Scott, Um one of the great commentators you're going to hear over the <laughs> over the Women's World Cup, an English girl. Um, I was playing on the left, she was on the right, and as I pushed the ball, she was running uh, to, to get me and she tackled me from behind and, and broke my ankle. So um, I'm, I would have had two touches of the ball and off I went, I got stretched off. <laughs> and that was sadly it for the league, wasn't it? I mean, you couldn't quite get back there, or at least you were, you were waved, I think, by Chicago and the, the ship had yeah. sort of sailed, hadn't it? Yeah, it, it it did, and um, no one likes a failure. And in fact, so I, I felt within that moment I, I failed myself, my family, and and everybody around me because I, I wasn't able to do what I was picked to do. But still, the rest of your career, and there was a lot of football still to be played, and the rest of your life in terms of coaching, business, the management positions you now hold. I mean, to have those times, you know, under your belt when you've almost seen and been the lowest of the low, it must hold you in good stead for everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Having a positive attitude is just so important, regardless of how hard life is or uh, what disappointments or how how negative things can be. Um, there's there's always a brighter day and, and there's someone else always worth, worse off. So, yeah, it's it's important to have a positive attitude and 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 grit. Um, you know, often people say, oh, Heather, you know, when when there's obstacles in people's way, um, they, they normally they normally are down for days, whereas I bounce. And I do because it's a challenge and obstacles are a challenge in my mind. And mm. um, overcoming challenges is something that I'm quite used to and, and I love it. And I think life is about making the most of it. And that's that's why I've achieved so much I have uh, to this day. And I've got plenty more to achieve. It well said. Just on those achievements then, let's flip it. What was the highlight with the boots on? Like what, what stands out? What do you recall most immediately and most fondly from your playing career? Yeah, it's 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 my teammates. It's it's winning a major trophy in 2010, the Asian Cup, and and the reason why it wasn't just the trophy that that we won and the first silverware for football in Australia, 
um, at a major tournament. But it was the team that played in that final. And we, we had all of our superstars, like Sarah Walsh, Lisa Devano, Katie Gill, they were all injured that game in the, in that final. And youngsters like your Sam Kurz and your Emily Van Egmonts and Caitlin Fords had to step up and play in that game. And they are all young 16-year-olds. And the camaraderie and the team, the team spirit got us through. And so I, I look back on that and I think we we basically epitomised the Never Say Die Matildas within those moments of um, of that Asian Cup in 2010. So who did the Matildas beat in the final then? Who are we going to say they're rolling in the in the last game, Heather? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good game. Well, it won't be France. My <laughs> husband's French. Um, look, I'd, I'd like to see him play against the USA. Yep. Well said. Yep. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a blockbuster showdown? Um, well, you had the highs, you had the lows, but everyone does. You left a great legacy as well and certainly continue to do great things. And you have a resume as impressive as most. So, Heather Garrett, thanks a lot for your time and thanks for helping us count down to the FIFA Women's World Cup, which we can't wait for. No problem at all. Go the Matildas. Well said. Well said indeed. This is your journey. All thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives. We're going to catch up with Amy Chapman right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're building up to the start of the FIFA Women's World Cup with the help of two ladies who have represented our country, Heather Garriock and now Amy Chapman. Hi, Amy. Thanks for your time and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me and it's great you've got Heather Garriock as well, former teammate of mine, so um, fantastic time to be talking women's football. Now, before we get stuck into your journey and your thoughts on the World Cup, what are your memories of playing with Heather? Oh, she, she, was, she was a crazy woman, to be honest. <laughs> um, she had a bit of white line fever, very aggressive, very talented, one of the, the Matildas I really looked up to. Um, and she taught me a lot, even when I was playing, um, taught me a lot of... Ag- how to be a bit more aggressive and um, a hugely respected footballer. So what level of excitement sits within you now, a former player ahead of not only a World Cup, but a World Cup in our own backyard? Yeah, I think it's surreal for everybody, for every lover of football who've watched many World Cups in their time. I think it's surreal for everyone. I think being a former player, absolutely, and there's that little bit of, God, I wish I was still in my prime now and how fantastic. But um, I think it's going to be a real moment in time for football in this country and for women's sport in general. We've seen a pivot already in the last couple of years, but um, I think this is going to be a lot bigger than everybody expects. What do you feel when you watch this current crop, the way they're held in Australia now and the spot they have in the hearts of sports lovers in this country? Yeah, I suppose I get a a really warm feeling about this because I think I have known for a long time how many amazing role models there are within um, and also how incredibly talented these these players are with very little resources leading in. Um, so I think there's no doubt that they're the now Australia's arguably most liked or, or um, renowned national team. Uh, and I think they're also batting well above their average in terms of if you look at the likes of the US, 350 million odd um you know, the population there, but of course the number of females playing the game and for Australia to be right up there, having even beaten the likes of the US, certainly batting above our average. And I think uh, they've just got a really beautiful story. So it's it's wonderful it's finally been told 
um, with the professionalism that it deserves. So just on that, a lot has been made of the interest, I guess the global appeal of an event this size and the crowds that will flock to these games, Amy, but particularly the Matildas ones. How does it look out there on the pitch for the players? You know, what sort of difference could it make for the better? And what are some of the challenges of playing uh, at home and the, I guess the, the expectation that arises because of that? Yeah, I think you're spot on. It, there is a bit of pressure that comes with hosting. Obviously, um, even the girls themselves are so excited to bring some of these other in, you know, incredibly talented footballers to our home country. They're proud of to be Australia or, or New Zealander. Um, and obviously, we have a beautiful country to show off. So I think there's that element. But they also have so much on their shoulders because the Matildas can beat anyone on any given day, but they could also concede uh, on any given day as well. So it's... Tony Gustafsson's been working with these players and it all has to come to this moment. So whether he's timed it perfectly, whether the players are ready to go, we'll find out very shortly. But I think the more these girls play professionally with their clubs teams, the more prepared they are for big moments like this. And even you look at the Ireland, Republic of Ireland game coming up, very few of those players will have ever played in front of crowds of 80,000, if at all, and very few even Matildas. So it's going to be a unique experience for everyone. Yeah, I think honestly it sounds cliche, but just staying in the moment. I think there's been multiple times in games, previous World Cups, where I've looked back on myself or the team and I've thought, oh, we probably got a bit carried away there or we probably, you know, did too much or didn't do enough. So I think that's kind of what the last few weeks have been about, just staying in the moment, training and getting everything we need without the outside noise. And then while we're in the tournament, just enjoying it, like embracing, you know, this is the biggest stage for us and it's on home soil, but staying in this little bubble that we have and just staying in the moment. I think you saw that, you know, we didn't have the best result a year ago. And then from, you know, gaining confidence and doing what we do, we've got some really good results. Not the favourites, but that's what we kind of thrive off. And I think Aussies love the challenge. So for me, it's just about staying in the moment and enjoying it honestly I just staying in the moment and I think at the Olympics we really did that well and we just fell short so um, hopefully we can you know do a little bit better this time. We had Heather on earlier in the show obviously and she did make the point we are ranked number 10 in the world but we do possess some world cup class players so what is realistically achievable for this team do you think? Yeah, it's interesting that the FIFA rankings themselves because I wouldn't put the Matildas as 10th in the in the world I think uh, take away a couple of our key players, yeah, we could be 15th in the world. Bring us our full squad, we're probably more like 5th or 6th in the world, I think. So, you know, that's a snapshot of time. Um, and you look at the other squads, like the, the England, they're missing a few key players. They would have been arguably the favourites coming into this alongside the US, but now I probably wouldn't put them in the top three or four. So, um, success for the Matildas, I think, would... I'd like to see us get close to the quarters. Um, real success is is winning it. Uh, I think we'd need to have a perfect run and absolutely no injuries whatsoever. I think uh, we don't ha- quite have the squad depth of the likes of the US and tournaments, you need the full squad. So um, absolutely success is winning it. But um, I think we'll go, we'll go far as long as we get off to a good start. Amy, your footballing journey, how did it start? Because you grew up in an AFL-mad family, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, my my dad was a keen AFL player, as was my uncle. Um, yeah, and you know we're all between us, either Hawthorne, Carlton, or Collingwood fans. Um, so we're members of the uh, MCG for a good twenty years there, based in Albury. Um, but yeah, well, as we all know, uh, AFL wasn't an option uh, for 
females in Albury. It's a big AFL town, actually, but um, not an option for females. And even the school I went to, really my choices were, were hockey or netball. So um, didn't enjoy either of those particularly. So, <laughs> you know, it's refreshing to see how much times have changed, but we, it was slim pickings there. And the reason myself and even my twin sister started playing was um, because my brother decided he wanted to play to play football or soccer. Um so it was convenient for mum to take us along, the, you know, the younger twin sisters to, to trainings as well. So we thought we may as well run around while we're there. Memories of childhood growing up in a very sporty town like Albury? Oh, amazing. I mean, I grew up on a farm, which is really cool. I look at, uh, I've just had my first child now. So now you start to think about what kind of life do I want uh, for the little one. And I we were just super spoiled with it, with the life we lived. We, you know, had rode around on motorbikes, had horses, pr- like proper country kids uh, and just obsessed with sport completely. So um, there was four of us siblings, uh, all crazy sports people, whatever that might be, watching, um, playing, and incredibly competitive. I remember my brother in the backyard would be bowling cricket balls to him and he'd be frustrated that we weren't bowling quick enough for him. So my sister and I would go out and train so we would be like able to genuinely hurt him, which was, <laughs> which is great. And just We always wanted to be good enough to keep up with our older brother essentially. Now, you mentioned that you're recently a first-time mum. How's that all going? Yeah, amazing. Uh, I've got a little six-and-a-half-month-old, uh, Luca, her name is. Um, just took her overseas for six or seven weeks, and that was amazing. Uh, the jet lag upon return, not so Um So, yeah, I've just had my first couple of nights away from her coming here to Melbourne. Um, and, yeah, it does change you, doesn't it? She's absolute little legend. I've bought her a little Matilda's kit, and she's she's ready to, to, to get out there and... Um, yeah, I've just loved the mum journey, although I was horrendously unwell when I was pregnant. So um, I feel like people perhaps don't talk about that enough, mm. that it's it's not always glowing. And um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a rude shock, but I'm incredibly grateful for the little legend we have now. You have a twin sister, Georgia. How competitive were you two growing up or were you just super close? Competitive than we were close. So we are <laughs> exceptionally close even still. She's, she's also based up in Brisbane um, and she was a wonderful footballer as well. I think the the best advantage of having a twin is you always had someone to pass back to. Like you didn't need the wall perfectly (laughs) bouncing it back to you. You always had a twin. Uh, And it was always a two V one against my brother. So I think it was, it was amazing for, you know, shaping the footballers that we became, became because if Georgia had done a hundred juggles, I needed to go out into 101. And it was just like this constant battle between the two of us. So uh, I think it was a real advantage. Was football the one and only sporting love? Oh, that's a great question. I think, no, probably AFL watching. Like I could tell you every member of the Collingwood team at that time. It was the the Tarkin Lockyer, Chris Tarrant era. (laughs) Like I was mad AFL fan and a little bit like Sam Kerr. Had that been an option, maybe I would have fallen that way, but I'm pretty short. So I probably made the right decision, um, you know, going to to football. But once I got playing and then you understand the beautiful game that is the world game. I think there's no other sport like it. And I am, you know, I am exceptionally biased now, but there's nothing with the scale and the global scale and the genuine skill that it takes to play football, I think is, um, makes it what it is, the, the beautiful game. And I think also I love that it's, it's both gender neutral, but it's also a bit size neutral as well. If you're little, you can still make it. If you're six foot seven, you can still make it. So I love that about football. It's probably the most inclusive sport in the world. So when did you suspect that you were actually good enough to make something of it as a professional? Yeah, well, it was interesting. And, I, and I, I do tell this story often, but I remember going to watch the Socceroos play up in Melbourne. It was, I think, 2000. Um, 
and I remember driving home to saying to my parents, oh, I, I just want to be a soccer I was obsessed. I was probably 11 at the time. Just wanted to be Harry Kuehl, Mark Viduka. They were the players at the time. And so I insisted that my parents cut my hair off and gave me an undercut so that I – because that's genuinely what I thought I needed to look like to become a footballer. So it's it's kind of funny because I kept that haircut for far too long, but – it's also a little bit sad because I couldn't see anyone. I thought I had to be a socceroo to, to make it. But that was where the, the passion really was ignited from. Um, and then following that, my sister and I had only ever played with boys. We played boys exclusively up until about the age of 13. In fact, I blended in so well that sometimes they didn't realise I was a girl for <laughs> most of the time. So I looked more like a girl than half the boys in our team because we had a big Italian community and they loved the long hair. So... Um, yeah, I think I was a bit of a shock to the system when I was about 14 and they told me I actually no longer could play, uh, with the boys. So I was even representing Riverina and got called into the New South Wales state team in the boys team until somebody looked at the logistics and said, we can't actually have a female coming into a state competition. So there's a few political things on the side, but, um, then I, then I discovered the world of, oh, there are female teams, there are female players out there. And then um, once I went there, I realised uh, we were probably in the top top 5% and um, I could really make something of it. And that ambition was there at that moment? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think maybe coming from a country town, I didn't quite – I didn't look – I wasn't that heavily goal-orientated. I must play for the Matildas. I just wanted to be the best player in every single game. So it was a little bit more short-sighted focus. But then once I went out in the big world there and saw, you know what, I played every game and I can, we continued to be some of the best players in every single game. So then I thought, oh, and then all of a sudden the Australian coaches were coming and then, um, yeah, it opened up from there. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's more to come with Amy Chapman right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. It's a FIFA Women's World Cup special here on This Is Your Journey, and we're counting down to kick-off with the help of former Matildas, Heather Garriock and Amy Chapman. Amy, what did the path look like to the young Matildas in the 2006 FIFA Under-20 Women's World Championship? Yeah, um... Well, for, as, I, as I alluded to before, I was, I'd exclusively only played with boys for a long time. So I think there was this whole discovery around 13, 14 that there was enough women playing in the whole of Australia. We could make some sort of team. So then uh, we got invited to the New South Wales country camps and yeah, my twin sister and I were then sort of regularly travelling a lot. Parents driving us to Sydney almost weekly. So that's six hours from Albury, sometimes three hours to, to Melbourne here. And again, there was actually this crop of really talented players. Sally Shippard was from Wagga at that time as well. And we were all in the same crew, same same era. And this this group of country girls just took on the rest of the country. So we, we ended up winning the national titles um, for the first time ever that a country New South Wales have ever won it. And I think even still. Um, so we knew we had a little talented group coming through and so I think the more I befriended other people with these same ambitions I kind of um, you know adopted them myself and that's where we got the call up into the under 20s uh, national squad to to go to Russia but 
had a few hiccups from there with a couple of knee injuries as well, which I perhaps didn't realise were as significant as they were. Tore my ACL twice, so one on each leg before I was even 20. So um, I didn't know a lot about it at that time. And in fact, I went to the uh, under-20s World Cup in Russia at six months post-ACL. Well, it was. I had the surgery, um, but it wasn't frowned upon as much or perhaps I wasn't under the eye of a regular physio and I just went back to playing as, as... as I felt. Um, I certainly wasn't the fittest I'd ever been, but I still managed to get selected. I'd played half a game against a boys team before I went to a World Cup in Russia, which which nowadays it's crazy and they don't allow you to come back before nine to 12 months. Um, So yeah, I didn't realise how big of an injury. And then of course, two years later, I did the other, did the other knee. So they're I think because at that time I was exceptionally pacey. I was a bit of a sprinter at school anyways, so perhaps I lost 10% of that, so I had to recreate myself slightly before my career had even started. So um, looking back, it's pretty phenomenal to have achieved what I, what I, what I had. So finished third in the group and didn't progress. You then earned uh, your first cap for the senior team in 2007 and you continued to play national colours until 2013. What was the feeling of making your Matilda's debut? Can you put that into words? Yeah, absolutely. I remember there being a big step up from being in the unders and there was maybe a handful of us that they thought, let's bring them into this senior national team camp. And, you know, some of my idols from all time, Cheryl Salisbury, um, Di Allegic, all these players were there. So I think you're in a bit of awe and just trying to keep up there. And then um, obviously the coach saw something in, in, in me and thought, let's, let's give her a run here. I remember playing, my first game was against New Zealand and it was probably a perfect game to, to give us a bit of a run around and then shortly afterwards it took off from there and I think uh, once you realise coaches are believing in you, you, you sort of start believing in yourself a fair bit more. So um, yeah, a, a very unique experience and um, yeah, my, my career took off from there. So you earned 20 caps for the national side between 07 and 2013, you scored four goals. What stands out as the highlight? Yeah, obviously scoring your first goal. I remember that was a, a volley against New Zealand. Um, that was always exciting. It was almost to get the monkey off the back. I was an attacking midfielder at that time. So that was back in the 4-4-2 sort of formation. I played on the right wing and, and I think Heather Garriock was actually on the left. Um, so that one was always great. But I think the, the moment for me, we were playing at the SCG against Canada and it was the first time my family had got to come. And you kind of really appreciate in hindsight how much work they've done to get you there and how many hours on the weekend. So... Uh, and I ended up scoring that game against Canada as well. So that, for me, was probably the, the best moment in my footballing career. What about toughest opponents, whether they be individual or a team? Any stand out there? Oh, uh, it'd be hard to target just, just one, really. I mean, I played against Marta a number of times, and she's coming to this World Cup. I think it's her fifth or sixth. Um, just a phenomenal yeah. footballer. Um, so she would be one of the key players where I actually was – remember just stopping and staring at her at one point when I was playing against her. But, geez, played against the US a number of times and they've been arguably the dominant force of women's football for a long time. Um, and also even the likes of North Korea and those kind of teams we played against, they were impossible to get the ball off and they were, you know, exceptionally well drilled. Um, and they're the kind of teams you know nothing about. And, um, you know, it takes you to very fascinating parts of the world for so the great part of football is it takes you all over the world if you're good enough. You got any particular memorable places, good or bad, that you played? Well, I remember the team actually. I was injured for this trip I, about a week before. They all, they went to North Korea, and I I do wish I went on that tour just to say that I've been there. Just from, and you know there was mixed reviews upon returning from there, and um, 
So there's some fascinating places. But, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in South Korea, a lot in China, um, perhaps places I wouldn't go to as, as much as a, as a tourist. But then again, you have a unique experience and perhaps a sheltered experience of these places as well because they, you know, we go from the airport to the hotel to the fields. But it was amazing. I remember playing a game in China and there would have been honestly about 70,000 people there and not one of them cheering for for Australia. And that, to me, is a very unique experience. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's those kind of things that, that you can't buy. Domestically, how did you find your way to Canberra United for the 2008 season? Yeah, I remember this distinctly, actually. Um, when I was coming from Albury, they, they sort of had scouted us and saying, look, you are a potential to play for the under-20s Matildas and all the Matildas. So uh, there's not enough in Albury for you. You need to, to go somewhere. So your options are Canberra or Sydney. And I remember going to Sydney and coming from a small country town, just being a little overwhelmed. So I said... Canberra it is that's essentially where that led to um yeah and then that was probably a nice transition actually from a medium-sized town for for us country kids and I was actually still in year 11 so I had to continue school and finish schooling there which was a bit of a debate amongst our family who are all lawyers um (laughs) who who really find education you know exceptionally important so um, I'm glad they let me go and um yeah that's sort of how I ended up at Canberra United and that was the beginning of the A-League women's I suppose and, and I've got to ask, what did it mean to join the Brisbane Raw in 2010? Yeah, again, it was me sort of chasing. Um, I've, I've always had this mantra that if you're in the, the best player in a team, you're in the wrong team. So not to say I was the best player in the Canberra team at that time, but I felt like, where are all the good players? Let's take myself there. And um, I had some good friends in Brisbane and half them, I would say 70% of the Matildas at that time were based in Brisbane. So um, they also won. They beat us in the final in that first season. So I thought, all right, uh, <laughs> let's go there and give that a crack. So we moved up to Brisbane and I've been there ever since. Um, and it has produced some of the best female footballers in, in the Matildas Um you know, over 20-odd years now. So um, it was a perfect environment. So you mentioned being in the media. Is that something you were always interested in or did it just turn out this way? Yeah, I think I fell into it a little bit. It was never something I thought, this is what I want to do. I work full-time outside of this um, completely. So the media was a bit of a side thing and I, I've always wanted to give back to the sport and I, and I sit on the board as well and I feel like the sport has given me so much. So um, I'm privileged enough to be in a position to, you know, give some time back, which a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people ask, why aren't there more female coaches? And that's the tricky thing is um, they haven't earned a lot of money in their time. So to then turn around and be a coach to not earn a lot of money again in, in football, uh, it's been difficult to, to retain these players. But now I think we're obviously going to see a shift in in finances and opportunity we'll see a lot more people you know giving back to the game and I'm in a unique position where I love to chat uh, and I love to chat football and and they need women who have the knowledge to do so. Before we get into your role in the administration tell us what you do for a full-time job. Oh yeah this is this is a quirky one but um, I actually work for a big medical device company called Stryker um, and we sort of specialize in equipment that they use in surgery and I uh, look after everything to do with neurosurgery. So I essentially, all the equipment they use for neurosurgery to remove tumours, uh, all kinds of things, uh, I'm an expert in that. So I make sure um, everything's going smoothly for surgeries and I'm in surgeries. And um, yeah, it's a very uh, different world, but I'm also f- fascinated with the human body and um, it's something I am very passionate about. And the growth of the game at grassroots level, how would you describe that and what role does this World Cup have in that conversation? Oh, I think it's 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 going to be enormous. I think in Queensland alone, we'd had year on year about twenty seven percent growth in female grassroots 
uh, participation. In. So that's they're significant numbers. No other sport will have anything like that, whether male or female. Um, so you can already see the trend towards the Matildas as, as Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford become household names. And these youngsters can see there's a genuine opportunity for them to pursue a career in football. So we can see that happening already pre-World Cup, and I think it will be significant post-World Cup. I think once the general population also can see how talented and the pace at which the game is played now, um, I think we'll get a lot of buy-in from you know, perhaps the, the AFL fans or the NRL fans, they can see how talented these players are. So there'll be a big uptick in fans and participation and, and obviously popularity. So I think most states are trying to gear up for that. There's a lot of work to be done in terms of facilities and making sure that um, both the culture and infrastructure is there to support this uptick as well. And what are some of the big challenges at grassroots level for women's football right now, do you think? Oh, uh, there's probably, you know, you could list quite a few, but I think not all clubs are very welcoming to to young females. Not many have a set up. And when I say set up, sometimes the facilities, if you really think about the logistics of this, I remember taking my niece in, she's five years old, to to use the bathrooms at a local football club. And there's just, there's a huge trough. It's the very first thing she sees. They're not actually set up for young, for young girls to feel like that they belong. And you look along the walls and you can see the history of the club is all photos of men's teams. And, you know, there still needs to be a shift. Um, and that, that's, that's across a number of sports. But it is improving. The investment is slowly coming. Um, but there's also it needs to be a culture shift. You don't see enough female coaches out there, not enough female referees, not enough female voices in the game. So we've got every, every sport has room to, to improve. And I think football has come had leaps and bounds in the last few years, as has AFL. Um, you know, the the rise of AFL women's as well has been fantastic for young girls to now see, I can do whatever I want. I can sit on a board. I could be a technical director of a, of a football company, men, uh, men's or women's. So the opportunities are, are there now. So the World Cup's just about upon us. You better take us through your media roles that you've got lined up. Yeah, I am wearing a few different hats. I probably most like to be playing, but the other... <laughs> Three ACL recons will hold me back from the call-up. I'll, I'll bring my boots nonetheless. Um, yeah, so with Optus Sport, it'll be Mark Schwarzer and myself will be pitch side for all of the Australian games and then the main games leading up to the final. And I will also be commentating for FIFA. So um, they do the world feed. So uh, I guess our Australian accent on a football game will be uh, you know, broadcast to the world. So I've got all the Matildas games and the quarters, semis, and in fact, the World Cup final as well. So I only started commentating probably four years ago now. So um, it's a huge honour to be able to, to comment, co-commentate a, a World Cup final. Amy, there was a lot to celebrate in your journey and let's hope some exciting new chapters are written for the Matildas in the coming weeks. Well done on everything you've done and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online, you can find them, tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.